Welcome to Real Estate Power, where you can learn how to step up your real estate game from top real estate producers. With your host, Devin Bunnell, author with an Amazon best-selling book. If you want to know what will take your business to the next level, here is where you will learn how. We're here today with uh, Dane Anderson. Uh, Dane, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> I, well, I'm affiliated with Keller Williams Legacy in uh, Layton, Utah, and I've been a licensed agent since 2006 and uh, do it full time. And I've been pretty blessed that you know had it. It's been a great career for me. Um, I'm married, four kids, uh, and I bought my own. I bought what I hope is my last house and it's kind of my dream house about two years ago still struggling to pay that one uh, pay for that one so I'll probably be busy uh, doing that for the next for the next decade or two um, but uh, I also invest a little bit in real estate I'm about to buy my fourth rental property um, uh, at the end of next month oh awesome and that's I'm I'm hoping to be in a position to where I could retire on on those four or more rental properties um, in about 13 years. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So how many families did you help last year? Um, last year. Uh, or, or this year. Yeah, this year so far it's about 20, um, which is actually a little bit down for me. Um, and we can kind of get into the reasons why that is. But... Um, Last year is about 24, um, 25, somewhere around there. Uh, I'd have to check. Um, but I, I typically average somewhere around 28 to 30 deals a year. I'm fairly consistent. The most I ever did was 45. Uh, least I ever did, I think, was was 17. Um, but and is the, was that in the beginning of your career, the 17 um, or? Uh, no, the, actually, I did. I did eighteen my first year, oh, wow. um, and that was um, working very hard. And you know, necessity. I had a wife with two small kids at home, and I was the only breadwinner. And that's actually kind of a decent story, and I can tell it to you if you like. Um, about I, I have people ask me about real estate all the time. Should I get in? Should I not? And as far as being a, a real estate being agent, a realtor, or, yeah. okay, uh-huh. and usually it's clients who ask me this, and it's either friends or clients. Um, and I've brought several clients into real estate because I think it's a great fit for them. I've convinced several of them, one or two I've kind of leaned on, and others I if they they've said to me, you know, I'm interested in your job and I'm interested in in doing it for a living, and I I have told some of them, yeah, it'd be great. You'd be great for it, and here's why I think that. Um, but what I did was uh, I used to manage a bowling alley, uh, the Ritz Bowling Alley in Salt Lake City, which is now closed and turning into condos. Um, but I managed that, and my wife worked um, as a teacher, and we had a very simple home and low mortgage, and we were we didn't have any financial pressure. We were about a thousand bucks ahead every month, and life was good. Um, then we had. Our second child, my wife decided to stay home, and we 
ended up being about a thousand bucks behind every month. So I was left with the choice. I, I had to make a change of some kind. And so um, I thought about it for a long time. And my uncle is Bob Alfin, who used to uh, own Remax Results, which at the time was the largest Remax franchise in the state of Utah. And uh, I reached out to him and asked him, you know, tell me about this real estate thing. And, you know, could you help me get into the business? And he said, of course, that he would be delighted to. And he gave me the ideas of what I could do and what the potential earnings were and, and all of that. And so I thought about it for a while. And Bob, my uncle, is very inspirational. And when I came back from my meeting with him, I told my wife, I, f I feel good about this. And here's what I want to do. We have a $15,000 credit card. I want to take out all of that, um, stick it in the bank, and live on that money until it's gone. And I want to do real estate full time um, until I either make it or that money's gone. And, and if that money ends up going, then um, maybe we'll end up screwing MBNA or, or Bank of America or whoever had the card. Uh, Maybe we'll charge off and that'll be too bad for us and our credit will take a hit, but we'll recover and I will have at least tried, you know, and I'll, I'll do something else. Um, and my, my wife is a very risk-averse person. She said, well, I don't like the sound of the charge-off on the credit card too much, but I'm leaving supporting the family up to you, so if that's what you want to do, sure, let's do it. So... I got my license very, very end of 2005, and I started full-time, quit my bowling alley job, and started full-time 2006, and uh, January 1st. And in May of 2006, I closed five transactions and used the proceeds from those five transactions to pay back all of that credit card and uh, haven't looked back in terms of doing something else. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So then what did you do in the beginning that was making you successful? Uh, one of the things I did was I parked myself right outside of my Uncle Bob's office to learn from him. He's an amazing man. He, he's, he's been recognized many times. He's a, a Remax Hall of Famer um, multiple times. Uh, his sons are, uh, many of his sons are also in real estate uh, and mortgage lending he got into it in 1993, and he's a very inspirational man, and is is an is an amazing realtor and is amazing with people. So, aligning yourself or putting yourself in an environment where there are successful people who you can learn from just by osmosis. You know, I, I eavesdropped on I I parked myself right outside his office, and I eavesdropped on I don't know how many phone calls that he made. And just his manner of dealing with people uh, was something that I, I learned an, an enormous amount from. Um, and I hustled, you know. I, we had an agent at the time in that office. People would call into, he, he specialized in short sales. People would call into the office looking for the deal on his short sale because they could never get a hold of him. He would never return calls. These are buyers mostly. And anytime any of those overflow calls came to me, 
or came to the office, I, I bribed the front office staff with cookies or, or uh, flirtiness or whatever I thought would work and asked them to send me any and all of those calls that they could, that they felt comfortable doing. And, and since I was always there, uh, uh, I worked it like a job. I got there about nine in the morning and I, I would work until about six every night unless I had appointments, in which case I would work later. And I told my wife, this is going to be very hectic on my schedule and the family schedule, and I'm sorry, but I've got to really give it my all here. And she was very understanding and supportive. So uh, any, any calls that came into the brokerage, I did my best to uh, capture, and I, I became pretty good at getting people excited to go look at property with me. Uh, and at first, um, I didn't meet with people. I, I was willing to just show them properties without them signing an agreement. And that's generally considered a mistake. And, you know, there were several times where I showed up for appointments, I showed properties, and it just was not a fit. And, and Or I thought it was a fit, and the people I was working with didn't. And so they wouldn't return my calls anymore or anything. And, you know, I had... And I had spent a lot of time putting together a property tour for them. Uh, sure, that happened to me. Um, and that happens to everybody who's new. And anybody who takes a buyer out who doesn't have a signed buyer agency, that's going to happen to you. And um, now that's not the way I tell people to do it. And I've got a whole process that I take buyers through. But uh, I strongly recommend everybody get an agency agreement with any buyer and I strongly recommend that they pre-qualify the buyers. I wasn't doing any of that. Um, I was just hustling. Uh, I was lucky in that most of the people that I met with liked me enough to return my phone calls to keep working with me. Uh, one guy named Vinny, the most he's a retired New York City firefighter, uh, the most stereotypical New Yorker you've ever seen. Um, he took me out for four days, I think six hours a day uh, straight. I mean, this was all I did for a week. And I showed him everything available in Sandy uh, for $200,000. And and then he flew back to New York because that's where he's from. That's where he lives. And I didn't think anything was going to come of it, but we stayed in touch via phone and email. And he seemed pretty motivated to buy a property, a ski property out here because he came skiing out here all the time. And something came up that was perfect with his intended use, which was to do kind of a, this was in the days of, um, uh, not, not front door, but uh, help me out here, Airbnb. Yeah. So it's kind of like Airbnb before Airbnb, right? And he had a lot of friends that came out to go skiing, and he just wanted to rent his house out to them um, by the, the day or the week and, and use it himself. And we found him something that was, something came up that was perfect for that. And he was one of those five that I closed that May. Um, and it was a great deal. And and uh, I hustled enough for him. And he, he was old and retired, and I was in my mid-20s. And he, I absorbed a lot of abuse with good humor, and I dished a little of it back. And he liked me enough to, uh, to keep me around. Yeah, and he knew I was new. He could tell that, but he, uh, I guess, he he admired my hustle enough, and I was there when he called. Um, 
even when even before he was terribly serious, I was willing to put in the time with him, and so he rewarded me for that loyalty um, and that effort. So going back to what Bob often taught you, mm-hmm. so I don't know what his style was. Um, is there anyone that's kind of streamlined as far as a mentors like a Tom Ferry, um, any anybody like that that you could say he's similar to? I. If you were, if I were to classify Bob as similar to any given person, it would be a cross between uh, Tony Robbins and Gordon B. Hinckley. Okay. Uh, Gordon B. Hinckley, for those of you who may not know, is the former uh, president of the Mormon Church, um, who was a a man who was known for being an extremely gentle person and wise. And Tony Robbins, of course, is all about the infinite potential of what you can do if you get out of your own way. Yeah. And Bob was an amazing blend of those two things. That's awesome. Okay, cool. That helps me visualize yeah, more absolutely. his personality. Yeah. So, so you did a lot of hustle at the beginning. Right. And you said your first year you did like 18 transactions? Right. Um, then you mentioned before that there's been some dips. What are... Why are why did some of those dips come? Well, some of it was the market. You know, in uh, in two thousand six, I did eighteen. Two thousand seven, I did twenty one. Two thousand eight, I did twenty four. And then, you know, two thousand eight happened. Bear Stearns failed. The mortgage crisis happened. And and in two thousand six, one of the deals I did was to buy the last home that I lived in for ten years. You know, we were living in a very simple home. We bought a very I, I still remember being kept up at night with the thought, this house is over a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> and that was just, that kept me up at night. Because I'm a, I'm a risk taker, I'm a risk tolerant person, but even that scared me. Yeah. Um, and it's a scary thing. And it's actually a really good thing for realtors to buy their own properties every once in a while. To remind themselves of what it's like for their clients. Uh, emotionally because it's very very difficult it's a very difficult thing and I think as realtors sometimes because we're around it all the time we we don't give that a full appreciation yeah um, but anyway in in 2000 uh, uh, in 2009 or by 2010 we were firmly within the grips of the mortgage recession uh, and my income fell from, uh, well, my overall income went down by about 75%. Wow. And I was hustling still, and I was working hard, and I worked whatever leads I could find. Um, but my average commission per deal, I should go grab my computer because I've got it in my records, but my average commission per deal fell about 50-60% because you know you're selling short sales and you're selling everything at 40% less than it was selling for right uh, so your commissions were just getting butchered um, so I was still selling I you know I remember one December I had been working with these people forever and I sold them a bank owned mobile home in Magna for like 80,000 bucks or 70,000 bucks I mean we're talking like a a $2,100 commission and I was grateful to have it. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't even return a phone call probably for that much <laughs> for a commission that low because it's you know my time's better spent elsewhere. Right. Um, but that I mean that's the difference. That's the universe that we were in then. Um, so anyway, um, that's the 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 dips um, have come. Um, and I've, I've mentioned this to you before, that I have my entire life since maybe seventh grade uh, struggled with depression and suicidal ideation. My first suicidal ideation was in uh, was in seventh grade. I remember I wrote it down in my journal, and I have struggled with that my entire life. And sometimes, um, and I have what I would what I would classify as a moderate case. Um, you know, a severe case is somebody who really just can't work, I think. Uh, a moderate case is somebody who can, who can work uh, and who can maintain a life. But some of the things that I learned about myself was that a regimented 8 to 5 daily grind type of job was soul-deadening to me. It was extremely difficult to do. That kind of job that was regimented, that was, I worked in call centers, and that was extremely hard. Um, that kind of work is hard anyway, because you're usually talking to people who are upset, but uh, it was particularly difficult for me. I was always struggling with, you know, tardiness or missed days of work, just because often, um, I would feel overwhelmed by life and by the prospect of having to work. And I, I go through a pattern by which I, I cut out everything in my life that I can to conserve energy if, I, if I'm going through a depressive episode. Um, and I'll cut out, you know, social interaction and I'll cut out anything that I can anything that I can and until I'm left with work and it, it, when I start to sacrifice work then I know I'm in trouble and, and when you say sacrifice you mean now or then it was missing work or your tardiness mm -hmm. even getting to work and mm -hmm. I guess on top of that it's interesting to me that because to me with the stability of having that 8 to 5 job right that would be a lot better in the long run versus the um, six, or the potential highs and lows of real estate, right? Well, yeah. So tell me, so go into and, a little more on that. If, well, if and, and sure. I mean, and anybody who's struggled with depression, first of all, for any listeners that haven't struggled with depression, the best definition for depression I've ever come across is it's not sadness. Depression is the opposite of vitality. So think about life in all of its splendor and all of its pain, and then subtract out everything, and what you're left with is, is depression. What, that, that's, that's what it looks like when you're depressed. There's just nothingness. There's a void there. And if it were just sadness, that would be one thing. 
Um, because sadness usually has a cause and you usually understand that it's temporary and usually uh, you can forget about sadness. Um, but depression is, is far more difficult uh, a beast to slay uh, not the least of which because it comes back no matter what you do, no matter how much you think you have it beaten. For me, anyway, it has always come back. And the best I've ever been able to do is I think of it as this terrible, rabid, huge dog that I'm trapped in a room with. And when I've got it under control, I've been able to get it on the other side of the door. But it's always there trying to get at me, trying to knock the door down, trying to claw through the walls. And, and you on the other side acting like everything's well, aesthetic or... Yeah, I mean, okay. and, and that's, that's challenging when, when you're so depressed that... And this is the part that's... For people who've never struggled with depression, it's hard for people to understand that when you're depressed... You know, well-meaning and well-intentioned people try to talk you out of it and say, look at all that you have to live for. Look at your beautiful family. Look at your home. Look at all the success you've had in business or personally or in your church or whatever, scholastically, whatever. And uh, when you feel like... Um, when they say, do you want to... You don't want to throw all that away... Of course, your logical answer is no, but in your, in your mind and, and the way you feel in your heart and, and deep down in the most profound sense of yourself, you feel like, one, that none of that stuff was real or it was all a lucky fluke. Um, I didn't actually deserve any of that credit. That was lucky. And... Uh, you feel as though it, it's just you can't even summon the energy or the will to to care about that stuff so how have you been able to be successful and really for the most part consistent in real estate having that uh, gigantic dog on the other side of the door right um, it's been hard. Um, I'm in, um, and you know, usually it's one to two a year. I'll, I'll go through, and and they vary in lengths for me, from anywhere from a couple of weeks or a few weeks to a couple of months, and they vary in severity. Um, um, I so, can, uh, so I you'll can, hit a few a few a year is what it's kind of tapered down to. Was it more in the beginning? No. Well, or is it no, fairly? It's it's. I mean, it's it's been fairly regular. It's been a longer life partner in my life than my spouse has. You know, I've I'm more intimately acquainted with depression and for a longer time than with than with my own spouse. So. And I guess I'm looking at frequency, right? Is it yeah. has it toned down in frequency over the years no. of going from hey when you were uh, in, in seventh grade, right? Mm -hmm. And it would happen once a month where you'd hit these 
I'm going to call it a cycle, right? Right, right. Well, and, and that's part of what's maddening about it is that there seems to be at least nothing that I can really put my finger on that quote-unquote causes it. It's, it seems to be pretty random. Uh, it seems to be made worse by some things. Uh, it seems to be alleviated by some things. Uh, set routines, like you mentioned, the job, wouldn't that be a help? And my temperament is such that I'm a very creative person, um, and the world of ideas is what makes me, what's what gives me life. That and, vitality, right. And that vitality, and if you don't have that, or if your job is not built around that, and, and people, you know, I love I love being around people and having, you know, solid meaningful, thoughtful conversations like this one. And if you don't have that, um, and you're doing a rote thing where it's just the same every time, uh, that doesn't fit my temperament, which is separate from my depression. My temperament is just, I'm a creative individual, I, I feel the need to create. And my natural energy levels, you know, you could... If I were a if I were a mental health practitioner, I'd probably say that I'm kind of not not bipolar, but my energy is kind of that manic depressive. I I'm a sprinter, not a marathon runner, right? So yeah. I and and it's in my work and in my and in my just personal life, I will go sometimes uh, on little sleep and I'll work extremely hard you know 8, 10, 12, 14 hours a day 6, 7 days a week if necessary for a while and then I will slow down and find it difficult no matter how much rest or relaxation I have to work for 6 or 7 hours a day uh, you know 4 days a week and so that's just that's just how I've always been right and and through high school, I always, I, I, I was absent a lot in high school, but I always made good grades. And so people didn't care if I missed a lot of school. They just cared that I did the work. And that's kind of the way real estate is. Uh, people don't care what you're going through. They only care that you get done for them what they hired you to get done. And so if I have an appointment at 4 o'clock and I'm in bed, you know, weeping <laughs> until 3.30, as long as I'm at my appointment with, at 4 o'clock in my suit, uh, ready, ready to do my job, that's all that matters. Yeah. Right? Um, of course, that's obviously not a, not a recipe for long-term success. You don't want to have a lot of those days in a row, but sometimes those days happen. And sometimes they happen despite anything that I try to do, to the contrary. And sometimes uh, you, I have to just say, and it's, it's very rare that I will ever cancel an appointment or, or move an appointment with a client. It's extremely rare. Um, and that's one thing. If you're so depressed that you just don't feel like you can meet with people ever then probably you need more industrial strength help. And, and if you are like that all the time, or the majority of the time, 
real estate might not be the best fit for you. <laughs> right. right. Um, but I've always been productive and, uh, and I know that that's one of my early warning detection signals. If ever I get to the point where I am concerned or, or if I'm moving or canceling or, or rescheduling appointments because of my depression then I know I'm in trouble and that I need to take some kind of additional action which is hard because when you're depressed the last thing you have is energy to take any kind of action right um, but that's something you know I, I figure out I figure out somehow so you hit a point in your real estate career that you are having sleepless nights over your home that's you have a mortgage on for two hundred fifty thousand. Right. Um, your income's dropped by seventy five percent. Right. You struggle with depression. How right. were you able to push through that? And what what motivated you through that time frame? Not only that, but I had uh, I had two just I had two additional children during that time with no insurance. <laughs> So that was hard. Um, my wife has always been a, a, a fantastic supporter, and I've got an amazing support network of uh, friends who who don't have to do much more than listen to me and tell me that they care about me um, to be supportive. Yeah, and that's enormously. In those times, it's impossible to overstate how important that is. So, but you said you lose some of that vitality, right? Yeah. And so, what's what pushes you when you don't have that vitality to go out and still make those calls, knock those doors, have those appointments? What was pushing you to still move forward in uh, trying to make it in your career yeah. and support your family? Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's the family itself. You know, my children are, um, up until recently, completely delightful, and I say that because teenagers have recently struck my house, and that's a whole different beast that I've never. That's uh, a whole different species of human being that I've never had to uh, deal with in this way as a parent, and that's extremely difficult. But when your children, who are beautiful and precious and innocent and so well-meaning, you know, come to you and hug you and, and tell you they love you, it's, it's hard to not draw some kind of strength from that. Um, and when your wife is willing to do the same for you uh, without judgment because she doesn't understand depression she never has and despite having a front row seat to my version of it probably never will she has her own struggles um, as we all do but she's been able to largely just ask what she can do to help and to be supportive in whatever way she can be and a lot of that has been her willingness to have me miss a lot of family dinners when I am out uh, but sometimes you know I, I set 
I don't write them down usually, but I set daily goals and I have kind of a daily task list. And, you know, I was joking with my friend the other day, anytime um, making it through today alive is on my task list for the day, I know I'm in trouble. Uh, in, I mean, that's real trouble, you yeah. know. Um, and in my age group, suicide is the leading cause of death, I believe, in, in Utah and nationally, I believe. Um, and I've struggled, as I say, with suicidal ideation for, for a long time. And, and what that's like is it's not, you know, every once in a while we have kind of this dark part of ourselves as we're standing, you know, overlooking a cliff or, uh, or uh, uh, you know, on a building, on an observation deck or something, there's this little dark part of ourselves that says, what if you jumped? There's, and, and of course, we're, we're both thrilled and terrified at the same time, and, and we try not to listen to that kind of impulse. And for me, suicidal ideation is not that. I think that's pretty common among people as an experience. Suicidal ideation is, for me, it manifests itself in a few ways, but one of the ways it manifests itself is that I, the vision of my, my wrists uh, comes into my mind with my left wrist with a knife in my right hand slicing open my arteries and that comes into my mind so I push it out of my mind and then it comes back and then it and I push it out again and I do that sometimes hundreds of times a day and when I'm in the darkest places I run out of energy to eject those thoughts and and that's a lot of people don't understand how people can commit suicide and that's it, it can become overwhelming in that way because it's literally, it seems, all you can think about. And I don't understand it, and I don't know why that happens, uh, but it happens to me. Right. And that's what it looks like. And it's, it's... When you're in that frame of mind, it's impossible to care about if your mortgage is going to be late or if you're going to really disappoint other people uh, or if you're letting your clients down um, it's literally impossible to care and you're just trying to stay alive or at least I am sometimes and that's when things are at their most dark and it's I usually don't get my depression and depressive episodes usually don't get that dark usually uh, I hang with them for a while. I take the medicine that I, I have prescribed to me and things after a few weeks of trying really hard to battle against it and going as easy on myself as I can, things tend to brighten up a little bit, become a little bit easier day to day until pretty soon kind of the fog lifts and the clouds lift. Yeah. Um, but when you're in the midst of that, uh, when, you're, when you're in that kind of crisis, 
you know, at that point, it's incumbent upon you as the individual to survive in whatever way that you can. And some people turn to drugs and alcohol to try to cope with that. And that's not something that I think is is long-term helpful and, in fact, can make the problem worse. Um, so, you know, I, I haven't really gone that way. Right. I, I take, you know, uh, an antidepressant like 90% of the people in this country. Um, so, so, Dan, we have only a few minutes left. Yeah. And so what, what help could you give the listeners... Um, that may struggle with depression, right? That are trying to make it in real estate or even thinking about getting into real estate that may have this as a, um, a battle that they go through as well. Sure. Um, the first thing is that you, you have to have a support system of people who care about you and your success. Uh, second thing is you can't, you can't talk to your clients about it because they don't care what you're going through. Um, and all you're going to do is frighten them. Um, third thing is, no matter how depressed you get, you have to do your job well. And that's really hard sometimes. And, it, and, and if you get to the point where you cannot do your job anymore, the responsible and adult thing to do is to call your broker or a colleague and say, I'm sick right now. And I don't know when I'm going to get better, but I have a few clients that I need help with. Can you help me? And one thing about realtors is that they are unbelievably generous people as a group and are unbelievably willing to help when somebody needs it. Yeah. So, and, and even taking that step, I've only had to do that once in my 12-year career, as dark as some of my times have been. And I've even, I've even called my clients and said, this is something that, uh, or I'm, I'm going to the hospital for the next couple of days. I'm, if you need anything, this is the person to contact. I'm sorry, I just got to bow out for a minute. I didn't tell them why I was going to the hospital. Um, I just told them I was ill, and all of them, to a person, expressed a great deal of concern for me as a person. They appreciated me making sure their needs were taken care of. And just doing that made me feel better about myself because I knew I was doing the right thing by my clients, uh, as, as in a ridiculously poor shape as I was in. And that's all anybody wants out of their realtor, is for their needs to be taken care of. Yeah, right. So... Uh, those are options that if you have to, you should definitely avail yourself of. And the one thing that I want to take our listeners back to also is that regardless of how dark those times get, like you said, when you saw your kids, right, it was almost like a, a light or a glimmer of hope, right, where yeah. you could find a, an assemblance of happiness in them, <laughs> right? Well, and happiness might be the wrong word, but vitality. Vitality, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's where you you could hold on to something like that to yeah. continue to push yourself, right? Right. 
that's what helped you give you the reason to keep moving forward. Absolutely. And as as I start, you know, as I was struggling, as I str- as I start to struggle, because I can usually feel myself start to struggle, I will try to put more things on my calendar that are family and my very close friends centric. You know. I'll, yeah. I've got a couple of very good friends that I speak with almost on a daily basis, and I will uh, speak with them more, and I'll have lunch with them more, and I'll reach out to members of my family more, and I'll do that because those things, those conversations, interactions are imbued with vitality, and that's the antidote to depression as much as I can figure, uh, as much as any kind of pill is. And, and, and no matter how dark it gets, and when I was, you know, in the Great Recession, and I was... I had no leads and I had, I was chasing $80,000 deals, uh, income down 75%. Things looked pretty black. Um, but remember that I, I, I had the confidence, not as much then, but I do now, that healthy Dane can do five deals in a month. No problem. And it's amazing, you're never more than about 60 days away from five deals closing in a month. Hmm. You really never are. And if that means that if you have to, if you're going through something difficult for a couple of weeks and your production suffers for a couple of weeks, then you know that when you get back to health that you're going to have to put in some more time and, and close some more deals to make up for that lost productivity, and that's okay. Yeah. And... It's amazing, almost all of the stuff that I worry about on a day-to-day basis, I'm able to chase out of my mind with the thought, yeah, well, a five-deal a five deal month will take care of that. <laughs> and since I know I'm never more than about 60 days away from a five-deal month, that's all I need to say to myself. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good. No, Dan, I really appreciate you bringing up you know, this topic. I think sure. it's a huge problem that we have in the U.S. and yeah. and is definitely something that can really affect realtors too. And I think that, you know, the things you shared can help a lot of people with uh, uh, getting through that, right? And finding that bright side, um, getting that vitality back. So thank you for your time today and um, we'll uh, talk to you guys later.